So just some thoughts, and I was ranting to myself, and every time I have new thoughts and rant to myself, I think, oh man, if I recorded this, I could make 10 hours of show by now, which is actually a very frightening, terrifying thought for everybody out there. <laughs> um, and now I can't remember one. One of the things, oh boy, God, there is a good one too. It's really, really, oh, well, and I'm sure a lot of people are asking themselves right now, why are we not cracking down like we said we would if this COVID thing came back into being, which it has as like a triple threat now amongst the unvaccinated and Apparently, children are being hospitalized at four times the rate, and they're putting all kids back in school, or a lot of them, and teachers aren't even necessarily mandated to get vaccinated. I mean, and at the same time, they're worried about abortion in Texas. It's like, what the fuck? Can we focus our energies where it matters instead of like what age the fetus should be when they can abort it? I mean, come on, you know, priorities. Not like this whole whatever fake news thing is a priority, but I, I kind of am, a, you know, a fake news believer. As in, uh, I don't, I don't know how much I believe in COVID or their need to text, test this vaccine or a vaccine or something of the sort in that uh, no uh, drug company can be uh, sued for any liability during a time of uh, national health emergency and I think that a lot of people if not 95% of people are completely unaware of that thinking oh well I'll get the vaccine if if I have any kind of reaction from that and it's traced back to that then I'll make millions so uh, either way I I just have some some reactions I won't die and I can make millions well actually no you'll probably have reactions that would be way worse than if you didn't get it and you won't make a penny because uh, you can't sue the drug companies and I don't think that that is a uh, uh, I'm having real uh, word finding problems ever since a stroke uh, about three and a half months ago or uh, it was either a breakthrough seizure or a stroke that I went to the ER for and they still can't determine because uh, the CAT scan didn't show it enough but uh, I have had trouble speaking remembering and everything like fivefold and it's not like I was doing great at all and people are always, and it's frustrating, especially when people are like, oh, it's taught to talk about changing the subject, but everything's for a reason. You know, people are always, yeah, well, a lot of times like, you know, oh, you're doing great. What do you, you have a head injury? I can't, I can't, I wouldn't think that. And then that make it makes it even worse because then I, uh, my head, I automatically think, well, God damn it. If I'm so impaired that even my neurologist said I shouldn't even have recall, Imagine what my mind and and would be and how it all would have been this unfulfilled potential in the last decade if I had had 90% of my mind as opposed to just 10. And um, 
And that sucks, you know, being reminded I'm smart and then being reminded how much more potential I could have had and that now it's just smart enough, you know. Um, now, now, I'll say smart enough in regards to certain things, but I still excel at other things and those are things that are not spoken about or seen and uh, I know I'm very evasive about this but um, I don't like to put any labels on things either uh, and I believe we all possess this ability but uh, I've always had it at a very uh, high frequency I get increased rate and have just always assumed everybody else has thought like me and felt like me empathize like me and you know there are actually a lot of sociopaths with uh you know i'm gonna start a new uh sound bit for for this next thing of course by the time i do that i'll forget this whole next thing i'm going to talk about which is about the fact that uh most psychopaths and, and sociopaths are highly empathetic so having empathy does not mean you you feel what another person feels and feel badly for them, not feel badly for them, but, you know, want to make them feel better. It means you feel what they feel and you, you're going to try to use it and abuse it. Um, so we just assume, and it's been a huge misconception that psychopaths and sociopaths don't have any empathy, but the fact is, is most of them do to an acute degree and they abuse it. Okay. On to the next. <laughs> Thank you. So, the next thing before I put you to bed... Uh, that I'd like to talk about real quick is that sociopaths and, and psychopaths and the fact that a lot of people assume they don't have empathy, but they actually, most of them do, and they, uh, they uh, misuse it, or they uh, don't feel it in a way that makes them want to help another person, it makes them want to hurt the person further. Um, that's the best way I can put it or describe it from what my education has told me. So anyway, um, yeah, that's a real big misconception that was really only just thoroughly clarified for me uh, this recent year. So um, I think that's one that needs to be further clarified. Um, and uh, anyway, there was another major thing that I went on a rant on about today. and. Afterwards, I was at the sink, and I had just finished up ranting, and, and, and I thought, okay, I gotta make sure I write that down or something, you know, or, or at least just jot that down to, you know, and I'm like, oh, well, I won't forget that, and literally, I put, uh, I did something with the sponge, and I went to get a piece of paper and a pen, and by that time, which is only, which is less than 30 seconds later, it was gone, completely gone from my mind. And we're talking about something that I had been 
in my head about talking about, you know, out loud in my house by myself, you know, not like, you know, where anybody could hear me, but, you know, how we do and, you know, we, we're, we're talking back to the dog and the, the dog's talking back to us and, you know, we make a little voice for it and we just, uh, whatever, you can say you're, you don't do those things and if you don't, then you're boring as hell and if you do, then, you know, you're normal. Um, so that's all I got to say about that. But, uh, um, and I could talk more about psychopaths and uh, uh, sociopaths. There seems to be a lot of fascination. And I think that's, uh, has a large part to do with the fact that there's a socio, uh, tendencies to all of us. And like I said, you know, in regards to Schadenfreude, we have a, a word for, for the, gray in between, you know, words designated as good and bad in America uh, and in other countries, such as in Germany, schadefreude, which is, you know, getting off on someone else's, you know, fallen or, uh, you know, misfortune. Um, and, uh, and in America, not only do we not have a word for it, we're like, what? we'd feel, we feel what? No, we would never feel that way. We full out deny it. No one would admit they feel that way, let alone do we have a word for it. So every, every, uh, uh, emotion in this country, uh, or in this country, in this world that is in the gray and not, you know, uh, labeled, we don't, and that we don't have a word for, for in this country, we, for some reason have denied, uh, have denied as even existing so we're saying oh well if they're good people they can't have any elements of sadism well some good people do have some elements of sadism meaning it can be a perfectly good person that has been abused terrifically by someone for 20 years and then sees that person get some of their own and and kind of feels a little sense of satisfaction out of that that's called being human and if that person didn't feel that after being abused by that person for 20 years, that person would be Jesus Christ. So, you know, there, it, it, it's really contextual. It's not an all or nothing. And uh, before I get on my soapbox and get my heart rate all, all raised up again today, I'm going to let you go and uh, try to be more consistent because I know how, how, uh, how much you want to hear me. <laughs> Ah, ha, ha, ha. Okay. All right. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. I can't turn you off. Good night. <laughs> I just remembered what I was going to talk about the other day, having gone on a rant about it. And I hope to God that I didn't just record this last night because that's a true sign or testament to my memory loss. Um, and uh, that's a good day. Anyway, um, so yeah, I want to know why we aren't ramping down on, uh, you know, amping down on uh, restrictions. You know, we said, oh, if this epidemic ever happens again, we're going to do what China did, lock it down. Well, it is happening again, and it's putting children in the ICU at four times the rate, and we're opening up schools, and we're doing everything the opposite of what we said we would do. 
And drug companies cannot be sued during this time of national uh, emergency. And I don't think that's any coincidence um, in the least. Um, you know, they're there to make money. That's what they do. And I don't think they were quite done with their twat trials yet. Now they're coming out with this third booster shot. And frankly, I, I think they weren't done. So they thought this would uh, be convenient if this COVID lingered so to speak that's just my two cents because if it wasn't so we would be amping down so that it no longer spread and uh but then they couldn't continue their uh dose trials or their uh you know drug trials um using people's guinea pigs to dose so uh anyway two cents on that Sorry, my uh, parents are coming to visit here in a second. Um, I'm going over to my other property, and we're going to be looking at the garden, so I'm a little stressed about their coming here. Just, oh boy. All right. Have a good one, guys. If I can turn you off. Not that I want to. I just wanted to remind everybody what the number one show on TV is in this country.
All right, so I'm trying to stay consistent here. Um, if I've talked about this already, I'm really, I'm sorry because I probably have, but and I really hope people don't take offense. But you know, if they do, it, it just it's it's an analogy. And all right, so let me just do a quick rundown here for you all, and you all already know this, but so this this virus comes into our country and we still don't know exactly how it got here but what we do know is it was likely from a lab in china and we know that only government officials could probably have access to that lab so there's kind of the mystery of how it got out of the lab in the first place so there's that and then there's like no it was from you know chicken it's one of those whatever you know uh, things that come from animals and uh there's uh, that that debate um but the whole laboratory debate and if that's true then it was brought over here by a uh, some governmental official uh because that's the only way it could have gotten out of the lab all right nonetheless so here we are and then uh so people start getting sick and during the time of national emergency one cannot uh file any lawsuits for any uh, on any drug companies for any side effects or anything related to uh, prescriptions um, during that time of national emergency. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and so, in regards to these vaccines, you know, certain side effects are you know shown or said to come out, and you know, oh, but it's the side effects are, are worth it. It's far more worth it than dying from COVID. Okay, well, obviously, you know. Um, and the likelihood of dying from COVID is very, very slight. And then they're suddenly saying, no, I'm sorry, one vaccine isn't going to cover you. It, it was before, it was like 4th of July, it's going to cover you 100%. Now it's like, no, mm, sorry, it was more like 56, you need a second one. So people have to go get a second one. And that's causing side effects. And then all of a sudden there's a booster. And this is all when this Delta variant is uh, coming out. And they're saying, well, now it's, you know, it's a disease of the unvaccinated, you know. And um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, people who are vaccinated are still uh, getting the Delta variant because they said, well, we never promised. You know, drug companies and government saying we never promised these two shots or even the booster shot would cover the Delta variant. And. Now, please don't be offended, but we said that if this ever happened again in the beginning, like when the first variant of COVID came out, that without fail, if it ever happened again, which it did with the Delta variant, we would lock it down like China. That would be what we would do. That was kind of like a promise to the American people. Like, we will keep you safe. If this happens, we will make sure it doesn't spread. We'll lock it down. What do we do? A more dangerous variant comes out and we make the excuse of the government or or whatever. Well, since you're vaccinated, we can open things up. But yet children are getting hospitalized at four times the rate. It seems to have more people in the hospital than the other variant and more deadly and more people are getting this than before anyone even was vaccinated in the first place for either of the variants. Um, So to me, that's, uh, you know, I 
I'm not going to say if I'm vaccinated or not. Did I already give it away? (laughs) But I will say, systematically speaking, timing-wise, especially since uh, pharmaceutical companies cannot be uh, sued for any kind of uh, heart inflammation or anything related to the vaccination side effects. Personally, I have severe kidney liver and cardiac dysfunction. I have, uh, I have, there was a recent 48 hour EKG and there were severe T wave inversions and abnormalities. And I'm looking at possible myocardial ischemia and that doesn't surprise me in the least uh, given what I've already been through. Uh, and I had a heart attack at 32 that was diagnosed. I told the doctor it was impossible. And uh, they'd done blood work at a routine physical and had me come back and then uh, officially diagnosed me. And then he had to prove it to me by showing me the EKG. And then he showed me something about the Q wave or anyway, he said the only wave that could be the only way that could be off is if you had a heart attack within the last, you know, few weeks. And so anyway, I traced it back to a time in the shower and I said, well, my heart didn't hurt. And sorry, this is off topic. And he said, well, it doesn't have to be your heart. And I remember got felt real sick, got real dizzy, <clears throat> felt the shooting pain down my, I think it was my left arm. Could have been my right uh, and uh, shoulder. And I got out of the shower with shampoo still in my hair, freaked out. Lay down on the bed. I was thinking, shit, I gotta call my friend Scott, but here I am naked on the bed, and you know, he's not my boyfriend, so. And then I just lay there, and slowly it passed. And I was 32, so I forgot about it. I forgot about it. And at that time, I was in the police academy doing, you know, HIH training. No, HIIT training, and literally getting my heart rate up to 185. So, um, I think I overdid it. And also I was going through a, uh, voluntary, uh, benzodiazepine withdrawal. Um, I'd actually, the psychiatrist actually asked me if I wanted to do a taper and I said, nope, I want to get off this. I want off it. I want off it now. And he said, are you sure? I said, uh, yeah. And, um, that was stupid, but he gave me a uh, straight phenobarbital taper and, I think that really, really stressed my heart uh, together with uh, going through the academy at the same time. Um, So anyway, um, okay. So, okay. So the ones that can get vaccinated and are sort of, or supposedly, you know, safe from this virus, you know, it said that African-Americans and, you know, minorities and the people who are already sick and weakened are dying at, you know, disproportionate rates to Caucasians. This seems somewhat similar to history and the fact that minorities and those disparities and then the, 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 the ones with handicaps are the ones that are kind of you know, weaned out. I won't mention the Holocaust or any of them being sent to the gas chamber and kind of like this being like a ascending <laughs> slowly people to the gas chamber because it is in a way, if it was governmental, 
in the beginning it brought over by a governmental agent from a laboratory then it would be a biochemical um, agent and that would actually be domestic uh, terrorism and um, then the uh, then there the analogy of the gas chamber actually is not too far-fetched because we are slowly gassing <laughs> so to speak by biochemical warfare are uh, minorities and uh, African-Americans, which uh, this is uh, targeting, again, at completely disproportionate rates. And uh, and then opening the country up while wow, we have this more dangerous variant and children under a certain age can't get vaccinated. And of course, we know children are going to get sick, ending up at the hospital four times the rate. And it's going to take out African-American children like nobody's business. Because we know kids aren't taking the precautions. You think six-year-olds are going to keep six feet away from each other in the classroom all day? I mean, that's ridiculous. And then teachers not required to get vaccinated. Doctors not really even required to get vaccinated. I mean, with a more dangerous variant out. And we're supposed to trust our government. And that this is not some sort of experiment based on a third supposed booster shot because we now want to see what the last phase we you know they weren't quite done with their drug trial studies and um they kind of needed to perhaps extend it push out another variant so we could extend the trials and if you think about history and how people have been used as guinea pigs for years whole American public, you know, with the targeting of the minorities and the African Americans, it's not too far-fetched, especially considering we never even looked into how it got here in the first place. If we really didn't want it happening again, we would definitely make sure we knew where it came from. And if it was some animal, what animal? How how that animal? I mean, we traced every other you know, major virus back to where it came from. Well, how, why not this one? Because the government already knows. That's why. And then we, they just stopped talking about it. So we have other questions. Because we're worried about our mortality. And they know if we're worried about our mortality, then we'll follow their instructions. They've learned that when our mortality is at risk, we'll follow, we'll follow instructions. You know, we're selfish and self-serving. And that's what we'll do. So, if this is just as it is, and the government's here to help, and, you know, they, well, no, they're getting sick again, we need to get another vaccine, oh, you know, they're not, all right, well, then so be it, but if you ask me, we would have shut the country down like we said we would when the Delta variant hit, just like we said, instead of opening it up, especially with kids being sick, four times the rate hospitalized, it makes no sense. No sense. And even given, giving people the choice whether to open or not, I mean, I just, it, it, and this variant is, is spread in, you know, clouds of air. So it's not, you can't just keep six feet apart on this one. And people aren't looking into the fact that it's spread like 20 feet apart. It's spread in the you know, the gym centers where African-Americans have to go to be vaccinated, where Caucasians wait in their separate cars, you know, sending African-Americans into a primed area 
of COVID infested air to get vaccinated. Well, it's a little too late to get vaccinated after you get COVID. I'm sorry, but it doesn't matter if you get the vaccination a second after you breathed in that COVID molecule, it's too late. And when you walk in that gym and the way that this is spread, unlike the other one, they'll get it and they'll have the assurance. Oh, well, we didn't get it last time, so we can just go get vaccinated the way... That's what, yeah, that's what the government wants you to think. Well, they know how this spreads. They know that's not safe. And they're not sending Caucasians in to get vaccinated that way. But they certainly are sending minorities, impoverished, you know, disabled, all of them in less safe ways to get vaccinated. Less opportune ways. So... I don't know, but it's almost like the first part was a setup to make them feel like it was safe to get vaccinated in certain locations and ways. And now it's not. And if they go and do that, they're going to be walking into quote unquote gas chamber. I hope no offense is taken, but this is the voice. Thank you. So this is a new recording of what I already recorded, and I want to see if it's more clear, because um, I was kind of all over the place with my analogy yesterday, but I was just basically saying how COVID vaccines, you know, the discriminatory ways in which we're sending people to get vaccinated, you know, minorities and people with disabilities and whatnot, um, sending them into you know, recreation centers and gyms and stuff like that. Uh, that's not how we're working with the Caucasians who are waiting in their individual vehicles. Um, now, that's a pretty big, uh, you know, distinction, and that's not true for, you know, everyone. Of course, everyone has the option to go to Rite Aid and make an appointment and go there individually and all of that. But the fact of the matter is, is in these neighborhoods of the impoverished and of Latinos and blacks are the options to get vaccinated in uh, mass numbers in these uh, rec centers and gyms in which uh, the Delta variant will in fact spread and which they've already been uh, given the impression they will not get it. Uh, because they went and got the vaccine and they were fine the first time around. But uh, if we're asking them to get a second vaccine, first vaccine, second or a booster shot uh, in the same manner, then we're, uh, we are sending them into a gas chamber considering how this variant spreads. It's that simple. I'm sorry, but it is that simple. We know it spreads in, 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 in ways that the other one does not. And, and that if you walk into a center in which people have this, you will get it. Uh, and, and you can be way, way further than um, uh, six feet apart or closer or whatever further. Um, there's, you know, because there's less access, you know, to the more vulnerable uh, populations. Um, and 
this whole vaccine, you have to find the origin of the disease in order to develop a vaccine. So maybe I missed the piece of news in which they actually distinctly and definitively found the origin of this disease because until you find that origin, you can't develop a vaccine. So was it ever discussed where it came from definitively? Because without knowing that, no vaccine can be made. So that's a little, I don't know, I guess I'm not a big propaganda watcher for good reason because it doesn't really tell you much of anything that's truthful and honest. The facts do. The disparities in them do. But, you know, and, you know, the, there's, the yeah, again, the whole, okay, just need one, you're 99% covered. No, wait, sorry, you need two, and now you need a booster. And despite the fact they said it was 100% effective to begin with three months ago, um, I basically think they needed to throw out another variant because they weren't quite done with their uh, trial studies. Um, it's more contagious, de- deadlier <laughs> variant than the other one, and we're opening the country up instead of shutting it down. We're doing the opposite of what we said we were doing. Nothing we are doing is making sense, let alone have we even found out where this is definitively coming from, so we can't develop a vaccine. And the timing is interesting. We, we see a, a populace that's absolutely, absolutely busting at the seams to get back at their uh, regular lives, even at the expense of themselves. And they say, hey, well, I haven't gotten it yet. I'm not going to get it. Well, the government kind of waited for us to get to that point where we'd go out and take risks. And now children are being hospitalized at four times the rate and all that. And we're still throwing them back in schools with unvaccinated teachers. I mean, it's really... You know, for Biden's first promise to the people to be broken, you know, for to them, for them to say, you know, we'll crack down on this if it ever happens again and we'll protect the American people and them to do the opposite. That was his first promise. He broke it. And, you know, again, perhaps Pfizer wasn't done with their trial d- drug testing yet, their studies or trials or whatever, and they needed to be a little more g- aggressive in their ways of doing it and, and, uh, and which variant they put out there. And then uh, blame all those who are not, uh, un, you know, vaccinated after they can't even vaccinate children under the age of 12 or whatnot. So, I mean, it's 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 kind of the timing is weird. And it does, again, once as history repeats itself all over again, it targets minorities, federally disabled, uh, those of weakened immunity and Latinos and blacks. And it's just, you know, wiping all of those people out, you know, the weak and the minorities. So how many times in history have we or they tried to wipe out or the government uh, tried to wipe out the weakened and, you know, the minorities and the African-Americans throughout the entirety of history? And it's not going to stop within this, our lifetime. We're not special. It's continued. But we're not going to do it in the way the Nazis did. Uh, We're not going to do it in the same way. We have different ways about it. And it's uh, biochemical warfare. It truly is. And we are the guinea pigs. Um, I know this is highly controversial. I know it sounds conspiratorial. But all a conspiracy theory is, is two or more people getting together collaborating 
to commit a federal offense. Well, if that's what a conspiracy is, there's been a lot of freaking conspiracies. And there's nothing wrong with the word because that's what a conspiracy is. It's two or more people getting together and collaborating to commit an illegality. That's what a conspiracy is. That's all that the government does is get together to commit illegalities in this in secrecy's name. I mean, that's what's happening. That's what's been done. You don't think that's going on now? Then tell me why all the disparities. Tell me why we didn't do what we said we would do. Tell me why we aren't requiring doctors and teachers to get vaccinated. Why we're sending kids back into schools and they're getting hospitalized at four times the rate. Just that in and of itself. Why are we opening up the country to a newly, highly deadly, deadlier variant to come into our lives and even to the people who are vaccinated because it wears off. And then there's the whole, you need to find a definitive origin in order to develop an effective vaccine. Have we? Did we? Was it a hen? A pig? Was it a chicken? Was it an egg? Or was it from a laboratory? That, over, that only a government official could access. Ding, ding, ding. Because it'd be really, really hard to find a goddamn chicken out of five fucking trillion. So unless they found that goddamn chicken, it came from a lab. And the only one who could get it from a lab was a governmental agent. Who could pass it along to another governmental agent. Unless they... Whatever. You hear my point. And that is a conspiracy. So you can say, oh, well, she's just fucking conspiracy theorists. We're just full of bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit. It's two or more people getting together to commit illegality. And if you ask me, this is mass murder. That's along the lines of an illegality. In my opinion, I don't know about yours, but in mine. So I'm going to put this little segment right below the one I recorded last night and see if it makes less sense or more sense. And if you think I'm more crazy or less crazy, because no matter which way you think, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying the same thing a different way with my head injury and my issues and my not knowing how it's gonna come out each time I say it, my knowing exactly what point I wanna make and my just wanting to make sure it gets across. And you can be entertained along the way, that's fine. That's what this podcast is for. So tune in tomorrow because I am trying to record a segment every day and I don't give a shit what you think about me. You shouldn't give a shit about what I think about you. The only difference is you know who I am, but you really don't. Have a good day, and I will, quote, unquote, see you tomorrow.
Did I mention during times of national emergency, no pharmaceutical company, no matter the outcome or side effect, can be sued? Did I mention that? Okay, well, that's the truth. And 99% of Americans don't know that, so you should. So, as you may or may not know, holy crap, I just blanked. I totally forgot what I was just going to say. So, as you may or may not know, I am losing my mind <laughs> um, and completely forgot what I was going to say. Now, the dilemma is, should I leave this bloop in here or not? I don't think it would make things more exciting. I really don't, but... I was just going off, um, you know, on everything that's happened to me, and I'm not, don't worry, I'm not going to get all into that, but it, it needs to be, you know, the only reason it's come up is because it's come up. I mean, I didn't bring it up, like, it started up again the second the annulment happened, and I was credible. Oh boy, it started up again. Uh, when I said on the Casey Armstrong show in that last, that last episode, I said, I give you the floor, and I said, well, you got to know, you know, it's hell, and it's, it's just something that doesn't end. It doesn't stop. They don't stop, and uh, they don't, and uh, it was uh, directly after the annulment that, um, sorry, I just ran downstairs and get my plug, that uh, they began in on, uh, you know, trying to discredit anywhere I go. They would go and discredit me, whether it be a plainclothes officer's plainclothes officer or official, um, some way, somehow, uh, suddenly, you know, I'd be looked at differently, whether it be two years or after one session, like let's say at a massage place, um, like I got a letter from one of the places two months, you know, prior to uh, suddenly they're saying I was no longer able to come there without giving me any kind of adequate explanation or reason. And after my telling him, you know, it's not legal, I'm disabled, you can't, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, disable one from accessing healthcare resources. When that kind of thing and ADA violations, which are very legitimate in instances like those, when there's no legal or good reason that can be evidenced or found, um, really is valid and it's a $75,000 fine. So when they don't even flinch or come up with any reason or have one, you know that someone has said something because there's absolutely no other reason or why or where's about it. Other, otherwise, they would uh, tell me what that was. Um, none of these places have been able to do that, including DHMC, where I was cut off of all services uh, the first week or the week. It was after the, the first episode uh, of the Casey Armstrong show when that aired the 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 week after uh the uh the dea went to my providers as they did in 2011 and tried uh the first uh thing with the uh first medication which uh did not work this time because i found another provider in massachusetts quickly enough and was told that if I had not and it had been a one-month taper, I would have ended up in the crazy bin because they had subsequently, as well as cut me from all services as DHMC, somehow through the system, cut it from every system in the state. Meaning when I went to the ER uh, uh, for a breakthrough seizure, I was asked repeatedly uh, if I was on drugs and I didn't understand why given 
there was, you know, epilepsy and all these explanations that they should be, you know, why you, did you have a seizure or is it a stroke or your heart? You know, things that were much more medically relevant given D, D, my four years at DHMC through the cardiologist and the neurologist and all, but they weren't. And I found out that there was no record of DHMC in the system. That Exeter was the last reports they had, and that was before any official medical diagnosis. This also happened when I went to Portsmouth and then subsequently uh, two other places that I'm established now and uh, seeking care through that I won't uh, disclose openly um, that uh, also it was dropped through the system. So I had to physically go in to DHMC in order to obtain a copy of my medical records and I did so with an attorney. Uh, to ensure that that would be accomplished because, uh, and I do believe that if I had not done it with an attorney or uh, someone else, that uh, it would not have come through, um, that they would not have come through because they did not come through in any way with an adequate explanation or reason through patient explanation uh, relations or the manager or elsewise. It was, uh, it's honestly getting explanations for things like these after the DEA has lied about me and my person and then tells them they cannot disclose this is chasing ghosts because they will not give you an adequate explanation. And not only that, they don't have any liability to worry about. So they don't, they're not concerned about having done you injustice and just cut you off of all services that have caused, that's going to cause a lot of damage and distress and I have three uh, uh, surgeries that are coming up and should have been done by now and would have been done by now if I was still with DHMC. And because of my being cut, I'm not. And I have a cancer, precancerous polyp um, on my uterus. And uh, I have a gallbladder that needed to be out about two months ago, if not before that. Um, I was told about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I'd have a better quality of life without it. So at this point, it really needs to come out. I was told when I had to go to the ER for complications, then um, I also have a, a surgery I need done on my uh, teeth and also on my uh, feet, both feet, one and then the other. So uh, they subsequently on a 48-hour EKG found that my T-waves were all out of whack. So I had to do a stress test, couldn't get my heart rate up because I took a beta blocker. So I have to go and somehow get it induced to get it up just to make sure that I can go under the anesthesia. Um, I hope I'm not, hold on. So, uh, the fact of the matter is, they're scared about my going under anesthesia once, because the time I went under it for the endoscopy, my heart rate went down from a 76 to 38. Uh, so, they're scared about my having to go under once. I have to go under five times this year, five times. Teeth, gallbladder, polyp, one foot, the other. That's five. And my heart's really bad. I have tardicardia. I might have myocardial ischemia from what T-waves are showing um, from the fact that when I said, you know, I'm feeling symptomatic at the, you know, uh, 120. And they're like, okay, yeah, maybe you, you, you do need to stop. And I asked why they didn't push me further. And uh, they, they said that they I was just too far away from the target. And uh, when I didn't take my beta blocker, uh, I was concerned I couldn't get my heart rate up after that. So I, I didn't take my beta blocker. Uh, and and uh, 12 uh, hours after that, I tried to get my heart rate up and I was able to. And then uh, I waited 16 hours and felt like my heart was going to explode uh, and took it. But my heart rate got up. And anyway, blah, blah, blah. What's concerning, though, is because of my tardicardia, it goes up to like 120, 130 or whatever when I'm 
when the tardicardia, the stress and all, or the epilepsy and all that and anemia, all that kind of in, interchanges and epilepsy into each other. One sets off the other, sets off the other, you know. Um, so everything kind of has to be in balance. Um, anyway, I'm not sure I was going with all that. I really don't know. But I know um, it was long enough and um, I don't want to waste it, even though it just sounds like one big fucking sad sob story. It is uh, something that needs to be known, as well as the fact that, have I told you my attorney was corrupt? I think that should be another um another glitch here or clip here or clip good god brain injury much um i'm talking about me i don't know about you but um anyway all right i'm gonna hit you next time and uh hit you up next time you and i really can't remember even what i just said i was gonna talk about that is honestly how bad my memory is Oh, but oh yeah, back to the DHM. So they had eradicated it from DHMC system, uh, state system, so that when they went to DHMC, when the first attempt failed and they went to DHMC next, they tried to have my neurologist cut me off all meds. And we're talking about heart meds, epilepsy meds. 24 hours I would have been in the ER. I mean, without question. There's just no doubt. So, and they knew that. They knew that. And then, listen to this. I go to the ER and there's no report of any medical injuries or epilepsy or anything like that. What is, what is that going to look like? What is that going to look like? Given the corrupt Exeter reports and the fact they like falsely put all that they did in lieu of the actual medical diagnosis when I finally got the MRI and the scans and all the diagnosis I have today. Uh, What, I mean... it would have looked exactly like the state wanted it to look. And then subsequent to the first show, I would have been where they wanted me to be. And the message to everyone would have been, hey, guess what? Guess where the the person who told this story is? Yeah. So if anyone else wants to tell it, they're going to look like that too. But um, my point is it didn't work. It didn't work for him because I'm out. And no, that's not some conspiracy theory on my end. I mean, when you're cut off from all your main providers, when you have surgeries due and your neurologist gets a hold of you that same day and says to you, Julie, I think what happened is happening again when she didn't even really believe you when you tried to tell her why you couldn't get help in 2011. And then, you know, you talk about how the DEA went to your providers. And so, and that happened also after the accident when they went to the DHMC provider in Lebanon that had been my Pat Gloa PCP for uh, 20 years at that point because um, I grew up in Hanover. Um, they went to her and she collaborated and I got the report and she literally said in the report she would not help me, quote unquote, no matter what. And this was subsequent to my first accident, and they knew I was severely damaged. So that anytime I went to the ER and the false report would reflect 18 miles an hour, which is too under the mandated limit to, to have me uh, into ICU. So the officer made sure to falsify that and put that down to 18, as opposed to what it actually was, which I crashed at 45. And had he put that... I would have ended up in ICU, and he didn't want me there. He wanted me in jail. And uh, I was told by the neurologist after the MRI that I should have died from brain death that night in jail. My brain atrophied to that of an 85-year-old 
and I have intractable severe epilepsy as a result. And the attractability of the epilepsy is debilitating, it is. And all that combined with the ongoing stress and shock has created severe cardiac issues and gastrointestinal issues because of the, not just distress of the trauma, but just the intensity and the pervasiveness and ongoing uh, nature of it. Uh, I mean, you want to look up complex PTSD. I am a picture of it. I am literally a picture of complex PTSD. That that's me. Um, and then on top of that, I have a personality that kind of is introverted and, um, and then yeah, all, all those symptoms, it's not just PTSD, a complex, oh boy, it's, I read that and I'm like, holy Moses, you know, it'd been a while since I'd bought into the whole complex, you know, and, but then, you know, it really makes a huge difference if it's just a one-time event or if it happens over and over and over. And when something like that happens, you're torn from your apartment. And then three weeks later, that, you know, what happened with the car, you know, car accident and being thrown in jail instead of getting the proper treatment, compassion, or justice. And then subsequent to that, just ongoing harassment and then false incarceration and then another accident that was, I mean, ongoing. And, and you know, what heals is justice and compassion. And I received repeated injustice, pervasive injustice, and complete lack of compassion because of how I was treated in the ER and elsewise because of the uh, misdiagnoses and the lack of uh, scans because uh, no one believed me. And to not be believed and to be injured that severely. And then I finally find a neurologist that, you know, diagnoses me and they are horrified to learn that I have all these medical diagnoses um, and they don't want it in the state system so they just decide to erase it so that if I had to go in which they made sure I would because they tried to have her cut me off cold I would have been in the ER and then transferred to probably New Hampshire State and they would have said Julie you don't have the conditions you're saying there's nothing about epilepsy or a head injury and all the things you almost died from it's part of your crazy what else would they think sure julie it got erased from the system sure julie it got erased from the system because of the reasons you say sure julie the reasons you say actually happened sure julie it's just a part of your crazy and no one will believe you or listen to you from here and we've made sure of that. I mean, whatever um, he wants to ask, whatever he would like to talk about, it's really his podcast. It's up to him. Okay. All right. Um, and you don't have a website at the moment, so when we 
I do. I have a Google page, so I don't know why that's not coming up. But it, it, it's there when I go under my businesses and I look it up. It's there, and I've, I've, uh, you know, moderated it or whatever, and changed it, and I've gotten more views on it. So definitely, people are seeing it, and it's up. But I just don't know how exactly to find it. I know that when I, again, when I go to the app, my businesses, you know, it comes up. But other than that, I don't know how to find it. Sounds good. And is there anything in particular that you'd like to talk about for the show today? Uh, you know, I guess the fact that uh, the things, you know, when the things happen to me and they happen to people, they, they don't stop happening. You know, that you know that it's a constant, you know, and it's actually, you know, we finally get my record annulled and now I've got DMV charges that are put on the report that it just, just, you know, it's just... I don't see, whatever, you know, I, I don't really want to bring everybody down into a black hole, you know, but I just think it's important that it, people know it doesn't just end, you know, when they, when they want you and, you know, they're, they want you, they, they keep, they keep going and that's the only reason I would feel the need to, you know, take any preventative action myself or file anything. I wanted to move on with my life after you know, the annulment, and then, you know, it was very obvious to me that I was not able to, and they made kind of self-fulfilling prophecy on there, and, you know, had they just allowed it to go, and, you know, not falsified things to, I mean, I got didn't get a citation, no ticket, no damage, no court date, nothing, and then it's on my record as, as bad as a DUI, and it's like, well, then why, and no insurance, you know, that didn't go up in each of the times I was rear-ended. And again, you know, that's not for me not taking accountability. You know, I will in my 20s for all the, you know, crap I got into then. But I can't take accountability for things I didn't do. And uh, that just happened within the last year. And, uh, yeah, so whatever. <laughs> um, all right, so I don't want to take too much time. I want to get you guys right on the air. Did you want to... Uh... You know, either way, either way, I'd maybe open up the line a little bit at the end, or. Okay. Not a so I'm gonna play commercial, and okay? Okay. Thanks so much, Gil. And how would you like Casey to introduce you as? I know that you do like a multitude of things. Uh, Julie Asmus. Uh, yeah, I. Master's licensed therapist and life coach. I mean, I don't know because I didn't actually finish the internship because the accident happened right at that point. So I, I am qualified to be, you know, by law, a, a professional life coach, but I'm really close to whatever. I, you know, I would say just professional life coach. <laughs> it's fine, I suppose. Okay. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey guys, welcome back. Welcome back on this uh, beautiful uh, Wednesday. 
wish it was colder because I don't like heat. Better news, I got a great guest coming up, guys. Uh, I don't know if you heard uh, the, the past couple shows I had with Julie Asmus. She uh, is, uh, the reason why she comes on is she is an example of the, the human spirit, the, uh, the dedication and the resiliency, that's the word I was looking for, resiliency of the human spirit. Uh, and you guys can uh, you guys can identify with Julie's story everyone has had things happen to them which are not fair uh, people come after you for some reason and uh, you've been wronged but what matters is how you deal with it and uh, Julie uh, has uh, had so many obstacles and challenges and she comes on and it's so it's so kind of her to, to come on and share because I believe she does it because she wants to help people. I mean, she is a therapist and uh, she's, a, she's a life coach. Um, but uh, her story, uh, maybe, you know, in other ways you can relate to. Uh, so I love when she comes on and uh, I, I love hearing her story. And she's, she's very honest. She's a great guest and a, a very kind person from what what I know and uh, all right so with no further ado guys uh, you can call in if you want 631-730-7376 with no further ado guys it's my honor and privilege to bring back to the program Miss Julie Asmus. Julie how are you today my friend? Hey Casey I'm doing okay and thank you for your introduction and I don't disagree with you about the heat I myself <laughs> <laughs> do not prefer the heat so uh yeah i don't, I don't either what, what what is that about i don't know my, my, my producer loves the heat uh, for me it's just it makes me feel just uncomfortable just you know just sticky and yeah you know yeah, i i'm I look like a sibowitz you know wearing like uh, one of those short sleeve uh, dress shirts <laughs> oh well that's an old that's an old reference you're too young but all right uh julie yes um your, your story is is uh is uh, amazing um when we left off last time, um, I believe, uh, well, actually, before we get there, can you just give us a refresh in case people haven't heard your program before? Um, just give us a little refresh about yourself and um, about, uh, uh, you know, what we've been talking about for uh, the, the past um, couple shows here, just in your words. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, sure. I mean, I grew up in, in New Hampshire, and I went to uh, school out in Ohio and went back out there to get my master's and then moved back here, Portsmouth area. I just thought it was a good place to be. And uh, uh, in the process, you know, I was about to start my internship and uh, just something sidelined me. I mean, I, uh, I guess it happens to a lot of Americans, apparently, but it's not much talked about. I uh, was uh, suspected of uh, something I didn't do, and it was a very uh, large deal as a form of domestic terrorism, which they were really, you know, serious about, you know, about 10 years after 9-11. Three weeks after, you know, they held me and checked my place. You know, I come back after the, you know, 13 days for that hold, and, uh, you know, my ceiling tiles are askew, and you know, wires are whipped out, ripped out of the wall. They made no bones about, you know, hiding the fact that they'd gone through everything. And, uh, yeah, so, um, uh, so 
So anyway, three weeks after that, I was uh, in a car accident in effect of uh, knowing that the way I was pulled over and the way, you know, I was instructed to do what I was, was not, was not a uh, protocol. Uh, and, uh, you know, you don't stop your car, put, throw your keys out the window and put your hands on the wheel when you don't even know why you're being stopped. And, you know, I was going out to get a, a charger for my phone at 1130 at night. And I felt very vulnerable. And what had happened, I'd just been torn from my place, you know, three weeks prior to that. So my instincts and everything in me told me to, 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 to flee. And I have never, ever had that instinct before. And I've been pulled over, you know, uh, my fair share of times for, for, for mainly speeding and other, you know, traffic violations. And never have I ever had the instinct to flee. And everything in me from the way he was speaking to me and the way he was, you know, approaching me and everything, I just... I did. And in hindsight, I look back on that. And, uh, you know, despite the fact that it, it led to my disability and the main, you know, uh, consequences of, you know, what it came to, I would have done the same thing. Cause if I, if I hadn't, he, uh, it would have led to a, uh, a charge that then they could have gotten me for, uh, intent on the, on the, uh, charge three weeks prior without any evidence whatsoever, having come at me without a warrant, no judge's signature, no evidence. And they would have gotten off the human rights violations, which they very much violated and, you know, effect of my not being, uh, my not being um, uh, guilty. So they, uh, if, if they had gotten within five years of that, a, a felony drug charge, they could have gotten me for intent. And uh, I didn't know that at the time he was stopping me. I didn't know law that well, but you know, when things like that happen, you look into it, you find out why, and you get the reports and it comes together. And, and that's just what you become immersed in because it becomes your world. I, you know, and then subsequently after that, just a lot of harassment, getting pulled over uh, all the time, your headlights out, I mean, your taillights out, your taillights out, your taillight was never out. Only thing I could do was not respond to the antagonism. I had to put my head down each time. No, sir. Yes, sir. No, you know, ma'am, whatever it was. And then, you know, 2014 was a false incarceration. 2015 was another attempt on their and systematically to kind of end my voice and uh you know it, it honestly these things don't really stop because they don't they have the resources and if you're a liability and there's no statute of limitations on what they're trying to snag you on they're going to keep they're going to keep trying to get you for it because you're going to remain a liability so long as you have a case against them and anything in re- in regards to human rights violation there's no statute on la- that and uh that night I spent in jail in 2011 with the with the uh you know the bail at 2000 that in and of itself is a human rights violation and the fact that it can now be proven I, I should have died in that jail cell is also now a human rights violation yeah, you were coming off the medication right no no that was in uh well that, that was, was the other time? no that was when they uh, took me for the uh, oh, uh okay. yeah they came at me in the very beginning and they told the nurses uh that i wasn't on any medication and my fiance had to fax uh, New Hampshire State that I had been on the particular med. Uh, right. So that, that's tough. That's tough right there because yeah, you could you could have died from that. Well, yeah. I mean, if it had gone on and they hadn't realized that they'd been lied to, uh, and I hadn't been released on a court and you know an effect of that, then yeah. I mean, it slowly but surely it could have really 
you know, done my system in, you know, I, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Totally. Hey, um, so, um, let me go to instant feedback here. All right, Julie, sure. I got a bunch of people writing in here. Uh, I got, uh, George from St. Louis. He says, I heard your last shows and I'm inspired. Would you do it all over the same way? What made you not give up? Here go, George. That's an awesome question, George, and that, you know, the, the would I do it all the same way? Uh, I look back, I don't think there's anything that I could have done different because I... Right, it was kind of out of your control, wasn't it? It was. Uh, most of it was. And the things that I was able to control or have any control over, it was more about not uh, reacting to antagonism or not giving them anything to you know get me for to to the extent that they had to arrest me in my own home because I'd become so agoraphobic they finally you know I mean found something to arrest me in my own home for which was that false led to the false incarceration I mean that's just, scary. That's scary. it is very scary it is very scary right. so, so, so uh, George I uh, hope uh, you, thanks for writing in I hope uh, that gave you the answer but uh, he that's just hoping that I would, you know, someone would give me the proper medical scans or we would figure out what was going on with my brain because I knew, you know, something was severely damaged. I mean, something was really wrong. You don't go from feeling fine to hell after your head gets bashed, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, cut and dry type thing, you know, and, uh, you know, especially, I didn't know anything about head injuries, but one of my pupils is far larger than the other one, and, you know, I kept, I kept yelling at my fiance, I'm like, do you see, do you see my eyes, do you see how much bigger one pupil, and he's like, yes, I do, you know, he's like scared of me, because I was so frantic, and I was also, intimidated to try to get medical treatment because they just would see me as crazy i mean they were, they would ask well do you have the report and the it's report being caught in between a rock and a hard place I believe. <laughs> I believe that's what they call it yeah <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah right yes <laughs> yes wow all right so let me go back to instant feedback here um okay toby from just as georgia uh has religion given you strength during the obstacles of your life? Yes. I wouldn't uh, personally call it religion, but faith, God, uh, you know, of that nature absolutely has helped me get through it. Uh, and you I. Made you, you made your, your faith stronger, you're saying? Yes, as well as the fact that if I didn't have faith all through this and now, I would always want to be the way that I was and if I if I you know given that I do have faith I I believe that I am the way that I am now for a reason as opposed to always wanting to be the way I was think the way I was remember the way I was you know uh be able to communicate the way I did and function and socialize because that's all just been kind of turned upside down and I have to believe and I'm not, I'm not telling Toby that I have to believe, and that's why I do. I think there's always been an underpinning of faith that I mainly found through nature and animals. And, uh, I mean, that's how well, God... What do, you, what do you mean by that, through, through, through animals? What do you mean? 
Well, God, you know, God speaks through other living beings and creatures. You know, if you're in a, if you're holed up in your own home, he cannot speak to you. He cannot speak to you. So he has to, you know, he speaks through other humans, whether that human is, like if the human's an ego, this is just my personal theory. If the human's an ego and they're speaking, you know, trying to sound good or whatever, then God isn't able to be conveyed. But, you know, if that person says something or it's a, you know, and he's not an ego, sometimes another person can really be, you know, inspired by that, even though that other person didn't mean to say it or with animals, you know, they can just be very you know, remedial in and of themselves, and they, they're they always trying to communicate, and they're always trying to make you feel better. And I then, agree. I agree with that. So some, they know, uh, I, I truly believe that, yes. they know when there's something wrong. Yes. And uh, I, I, I find it so touching when uh, they see someone who's upset or something like that, and they come over, and, uh, you know, they just... Um, you know, we'll, we'll pay attention to that person or something. Uh, do you feel the same way? I mean, do you see that too? I do. I do. And I think that they definitely pick up on our moods and they're incredibly sensitive that way. Um, uh, they, uh, yeah. And they are definitely trying to make, make us feel better, even when they're feeling, you know, feeling horrible themselves. And I, I know for me, when I'm feeling horrible it's very difficult for me to try to make others feel good let alone even be kind you know totally yeah i totally get what you're saying uh yeah so they have that on me (laughs) no i'm just saying what you're saying like the animals have that on me like i can't do that but they can you know (laughs) yeah I'm, i'm not that uh i'm not that emotionally uh strong i guess me neither. Our vehicles 
can accommodate any size party for any occasion. Our vehicles range from four-door sedans to SUVs to minivans to limo buses to full-size tour buses and can accommodate groups of two to 100. We offer airport shuttle service or over-the-road service without limitation regarding mileage or time. And no drive is too long or too far. So if you find yourself in need of transportation of any type with any vehicle, give us a call at 610-842-1564 and let us show you what a real transportation company can do. Use code ACADEMY2020 to receive 20% off your first three rides, including parking and toll. Thank you, Casey. <laughs> um, so let's go. Let's go back into the back here. Okay. Um, Mark from Montauk. Ooh, that must be nice out there, Montauk. Montauk. Anyway, yeah, uh, at the end of uh, Long Island, um, hmm. kind of where we are, about an hour away from where we are. Uh, it's it's beautiful out there. Uh, anyway, uh, he wants to know. He says, "What was jail like? Can you tell me?" What the day in jail is like. Oh, oh yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think the things that really stood out to me were just the the smell of the food was just horrific. I mean, it just was nauseating, um, and the just the the, the constant clanking, you know, the banging at the bars, the just the gray. Uh, I mean, you know, everything is, everyone is energy. Everything is energy. And I mean, it's just a different energy in there. Uh, altogether, there's a sense of kind of hopelessness. And I mean, people, well, yeah, just people making the best of what they've got in in those little places and I could hear the guys next to me like joking around you know just about you know squirting their like ketchup packets and I you know I thought it was kind of funny just (laughs) it just it just sounded funny and they were but it almost sounded as though they were settling in like these were their new friends and this was their new home and and that to me is like oh my god like I, I, there's no way I could have been like happy or joking around in there. So for me to hear that, like I was just in a different state of mind, I guess, than them, or they were stronger than me, or you know, I don't know. But um, you know, Casey, I just gotta say to you real quick in regards to you know God speaking through other people, it it takes me a while to not be so self-centered. But you know, I you know, just last night I was thinking about you and what you do every single day all day and you just you know what you do is honestly it's great it's amazing and you make so many people feel feel good and feel special and you do it in a very genuine way and and you are genuine and that I don't know I think it just that that really 
Well, I mean, I would think you'd already know that much, but you're welcome. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, uh, you know, like everyone, I, at times I'm not the nicest to myself. But hearing something like that, that, uh, uh, that is uh, music to my ears. So thank you very much for saying that. that so you're welcome. Sweet. Many, many uh, would agree. Yeah, you're, 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 uh, you're always a pleasure to talk to. I, I, I love hearing your stories. So, thank you. Uh, all right, let's, let's, let's go back. Let's see what else the other people are saying here. Okay. Uh, we got Jim from Outside. That's that's pretty close to. Um, people look at you differently when they hear you're disabled. Ooh. Uh, yeah, actually, kind of. Um, you know, it's so interesting having gone through what I went through. Just you know, I I, I feel like people treat me very differently than they did prior to my going through this and becoming disabled because the assumptions made in lieu of my having stickers and stamps that state what my medical conditions are they can look and seem like other things and I don't really talk about what happened and what conditions I have so the assumptions are made by those that aren't close to me and yeah I am treated differently Uh, not when I tell people I'm disabled but because I'm disabled I suppose and I handle things differently Um, but when I directly tell people yeah I think they're surprised I think they don't they look at me as kind of younger than I am and then they're just like what you know they don't really understand why that would be Um, so yes and no (laughs) all right all right well well Jim there you go buddy uh, hey, uh, Julie, every time you come on, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's refreshing, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a show of, of honesty, and, and uh, you know, how they, they uh, everything that was done wrong to you, uh, you're still here, you're still talking about it, and I got a feeling you're doing it, because um, other people, uh, it, just in different ways, have, are going through the same thing, or have gone through something like that. Not yes. In a Yes. Yes. I have a feeling that's uh, you're doing this for other people, and I applaud you for that. Well, thank you. uh, Julius, is there? um, I want to give you the last word here. Is there anything you want the audience to remember or think about uh, until uh, we we get to um, continue uh, with with uh, your amazing story? No, I just thank the audience for for you know hearing me and and. You know, and thank you, Casey. I really don't have too much to say other than that. Thanks for being there. Uh, all right. Well, we, we uh, love having you on. And my thanks to the callers. Uh, my, my thanks to uh, the uh, people who wrote in on instant feedback. I'm sorry I didn't get to all of you, but uh, I will next time, okay? So, guys, uh, Julie Asmus, great guest. Um, my thanks to her, uh, number one, especially. So, guys, we'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is... Hello? Hey. Hi, Julie. That was awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, like, you always have real conversations with Casey. I, I know I always say the same thing, but you guys really do... I, I think he's... Is. Well, he... I just feel like he's almost like my alter ego in male form. <laughs> that is such a compliment. I'll definitely tell him that. What? I mean, I would... It's a compliment the other way around. I really, <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> you guys are awesome. Um, I wish I could continue talking to you, but uh, we're kind of running late on our next show. But yes. um, 
we'll talk to you next week, okay? Absolutely, and thanks for all your help and patience, Gil. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> okay. Have a wonderful day. You too. You know, the other day I was looking into this or some, I heard this somewhere, but you have to find the actual origin of a disease in order to develop an antibody. And I don't understand why no one in this country is discussing the origin and how an antibody could possibly have been developed without us knowing the exact origin of COVID. So was it a chicken, hen, pig, or was it from a lab that only a governmental agent could possibly bring over to this country? Um, We are not talking about that, but we've developed a vaccine. And again, we can't develop a vaccine or an antidote to something unless we know the exact origin of it in the first place. Anyway, I thought I'd slide that in uh, next to my theory. below or above. So honestly, I did not want to make this personal, but sometimes I have to because I feel like I just want to fucking die. And this is why. If I felt like I had a future, mm-hmm, that I was going to start feeling better instead of worse after a decade of fighting just to get proper medical treatment after being lied about and defamed and all the reports falsified so I wasn't believed so I couldn't get the proper help for medical you know for the proper medical reasons and was instead treated anyway blah 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 blah. you can read about that on my blog on my blog (laughs) on my blog 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 but you know sometimes it is personal because I feel so bad like 70% of the time, mentally or physically, I can't do what I want to do. And so I just, I'm going to complain. I got cut off all medical services one week after the first show with Casey Armstrong aired. That's not a coincidence. Ever since 2011, anytime I filed a complaint, there would be a consequence. And I mean an email to the exact apartment that it was meant to go to. So in no way publicized. Now, I was asked to do the Casey Armstrong show. I think it's very important that be noted. I didn't know who Casey Armstrong was. And I didn't even get his IM through Facebook. 
until three weeks after PBN called me and PBN didn't call me until about three months after he had initially IM'd me saying, hey, what's up? Tell me more about yourself. Which if you think about it, given everything I've been through and all the defamation, is a pretty big compliment. But I didn't get it because you're so depressed. You feel like hell. You just, I'll get to that part. So I get cut off on medical help just at a point where I literally have nine severe conditions. We're talking, I have my federal disabilities, the severe anemia. I have to get two major surgeries and I have to get cleared by a cardiologist and a neurologist former because I had a 48-hour halter EKG because of my weakened heart due to ongoing stress and shock is what I'm told. So I can't even get my heart above 130 when I was in the police academy 10 years ago and beat out all the freaking 20-year-old boys. So for me not to be able to exercise, so I have severe anemia, TBI, post-concussive temporal lobe epilepsy, severe back injuries. I have to have my gallbladder out. I had to have to have had to have that done two months ago. So I feel like I have the flu and I'm so sick every day. The only thing that's saving my ass is the medical marijuana. I um I feel horrid. I have a polyp on my uterus that was supposed to get done September 2nd, but because they did the 48-hour halter, they needed me now to be cleared by a cardiologist. No cardiologist wants to touch me because they either formally had misdiagnosed me or because what cardiologist wants to clear someone to go under anesthesia for surgery in case they don't die? Oh, yeah, I'm first in line, so in case that person dies, I'm liable. No cardiologist is going to want to take someone who's not a patient and check, give them the check over before they go under anesthesia to make sure their heart's strong enough. If, they're, if the heart is not strong enough, it's going to come back on them. Why would they want to take, the, take that patient? You, it's like, you want to blame me? I've never been to the facility. You know, I'm getting calls saying I'm discharged at places I haven't even been. And it's because they don't want to take a chance on, you know, alleged healthy 43-year-old with a weak heart. Because if that person doesn't make it, it comes back on them. Well, it shouldn't. They just happen to be the one to check me out. And I have to get these surgeries done whether or not my heart's messed up or not. I can't just keep that gall... You can't just keep a shit gallbladder in. I have to get it out. No matter if I die under anesthesia or not, I have to have these surgeries done. Can you tell I don't really want to talk about anything other than my opinions as they come up? This shit just gets too personal. It really does. So, it's it's really, you know, it's really just shit. It's just shit. Because I just, you know, if I had hoped things would get better. If I had hoped the rest of my life would not be in pain and just be in more pain and... My heart wouldn't get worse, which invariably it will be because the T waves were all off on the freaking EKG and that's myocardial isthmia and I've already had an isthmia attack or a heart attack at the age of 32. I mean, I have chest pains four, four times a week, if not daily. If I went to the ER every time one is supposed to, I'd be there every day. So I just let them pass. If they don't pass within 10 minutes, 
I start to get upset or afraid and I don't know what to do. I can't, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. And then I go to the hospital and then they take an EKG and if it's not a 48 hour EKG, they, they don't see any abnormalities in those 10 minutes. You know, there were when I called, but there weren't when I'm hooked up there. Whereas the 48 hour one showed exactly what it needed to. And it showed I need a full workup before I can even go under anesthesia. And it really fucking sucks. Because I'm in a lot of pain for surgeries that should have been done two months ago. And I can't even get cleared. And as I'm saying this, my heart really feels like not good. Alright, over and out. clarify a few things and and I was honored to be on the show so thank you well I'm, yeah I'm glad you're here and I'm glad that you know what well, the one thing that knocked me out was uh, your honesty uh, a lot of people aren't that honest were you always that way you know to be honest <laughs> well, I'll say it again. I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I've always been one to just say it like it is I mean I've, yeah. I've heard it from everyone I <laughs> I don't know if it's the, the partly being, you know, autistic or what, but I don't know how to communicate any other way than just saying what I feel and what I think. And, uh, you know, uh, 
that's just kind of how I am. Yeah, no, I, I, I believe you. I mean, I, I, I think that, uh, I don't, I, I always say that, uh, you know, you can never, nobody can be mad at you if you're going to tell the truth. You, you, your feelings might be hurt, but no one can be mad if you're going to tell the truth. Ooh. Is that kind of <laughs> what you're saying? Well, many people have been very angry at me for telling what I perceive to be the truth, actually. But um, I kind of am with you on that angle in that if someone told me the truths, you know, that I know to be the truths, I don't think I would be that angry because I I don't really have a lot that I'm ashamed of. And I feel that if I'm speaking to somebody and I'm saying what even they know is true and they're angered by that, that's not to sound brash, but that's not really my, no, I got you. it's not really my problem. Right. Okay. No, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause no, it, that's, that's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so, so you're somebody who, who has uh, been through a lot of adversity and, um, you've gotten through it and, uh, you, you're resilient. Um, what, uh, what makes you so resilient? I I don't think I'm much more resilient than... I really, you know, I don't have much to relate it to other than to say God's grace. I mean, what I got through, uh, I, I, I could not have probably done it on my own. There were too many last-minute kind of things that, that just were not within my own control but worked out in a way that just was beyond me and uh but the resilience I think was me not wanting to give up on myself I knew who I was I know who I am and after the the you know first accident uh when I tried to get help you know no one believed me no one knew me when I moved out here so I was labeled and I didn't get actual an actual MRI uh, through DHMC until seven years later and that's when they found the you know royal atrophy and the epilepsy and I was severely you know yeah, yeah, Julie, I, I don't mean to, to interrupt but let's let's backtrack here uh, and uh, tell the audience kind of um, you know a little bit uh, about this uh, because this is the first time this sure. is, uh, you, you know your first show here so yeah. um, uh, but but the main thing is that your your faith was it was strong throughout the whole the, the whole thing through the whole, the whole story you're about to tell us. Uh, well, I mean, I've always had a belief in something higher, but no, I think it I think it uh, grew in strength, and then especially in hindsight, looking back, I realized there was no possible way I could have you know known the things I needed to know last minute or uh, in that you know subsequent accident. I I should have definitely not have survived and I I did just little things that I I couldn't have known that I couldn't have done you know um but uh, all along the way I wasn't gonna give up on myself I knew there was something horribly medically wrong uh and I knew that no one was uh going to help because they were just labeling me you know this and that and everything else until the MRI um, yeah, well, well, Julie, hold on, let me interrupt well, just one more time, mm-hmm. uh, because I want to um, kind of uh, keep the audience here, because yep. uh, everyone's, everyone's wondering, like, you know, what, what, what is the story? I, I want to know the story. <laughs> so, uh, what we do here is, uh, that's when we take a little short break, and we come back, and uh, we're going to hear Julie's story, which is incredible. So, Julie, can you hang with me for two seconds? You got it. All right. Hey, I'm on with uh, Julie Asmus, 
and uh, you're about to hear a, a great story as soon as we get back about a very uh, interesting woman. Be right back. The next step to following your dreams. EMA and the Actors Studio is an established, reputable talent management and services agency based on the Actors, models, singers, voiceover artists, and live Offering in-house classes, coaching, photo and video services, real and audio production, showcases, seminars, and more. KDMA makes talent development and advancement simple and affordable. For more information about talent representation and services at KDMA and the Actors Studio, visit KDMA and theactorstudio.com. That's KDMA and theactorstudio.com. Let KDMA take your oh. career to the next level. Company serving the Philadelphia metropolitan area with full knowledge of the New York City, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C. areas. We pride ourselves on being the most dependable, conscientious company in the industry. Our always on-time service and dependable pricing make us the company to call for any event or occasion. Our vehicles can accommodate any size party for any occasion. Our vehicles range from four-door sedans to SUVs to minivans to limo buses to full-size buses and can accommodate groups of two to 100. We offer airport shuttle service or over-the-road service without limitation regarding mileage or time. And no drive is too long or too far. So if you find yourself in need of transportation of any type with any vehicle, give us a call at 610-842-4564 and let us show you what a real transportation company can do for you. Use code ACADEMY2020 to receive 20% off your first three rides, including parking and toll. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. All right, guys. Hey, welcome back. Uh, I was just uh, talking to... uh, very interesting person, uh, and we're about to hear uh, an incredible story by Julie Asmus. Uh, Julie, welcome back to the program. So glad to have you here. Thank you, Casey. Good to be here. All right, so let's let's go back to 2011. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Yeah, oh yeah. boy. All right. Okay. So tell me, tell me what happened. Uh, what happened in 2011? Um. Well, apparently it happens every day in America, but to me, uh, there was a. Just like, here we go again. Uh, it's an unwarranted search and seizure. It was a federal investigation. Uh, didn't see it coming. All of a sudden, you know, feds state at, at my door. I'm cuffed. Uh, they don't really tell me what's going on. They say they're bringing me in uh, for a welfare check. I say, I'm fine. What, what is this about? I start freaking out. They... Um, put me into a car and basically not the long and short of it but uh, I was accused of something and held for something that I was not guilty of Uh, they thought I had been on some form of governmental assistance and therefore you know they could forego my 14th Amendment, uh, or the 4th, 5th, and all the other ones, basically. Uh, so they accused of something that you didn't do. That's right. That's correct. So, um, 
they found out that I was not guilty of this and that they had violated my human rights. Like, had I, had I been held and had they found evidence of it on me, in me, in my apartment during that search and seize of 13 days, then they would have been like, all right, well, we got our person, you know, but because they were wrong, there wasn't anything there that I, you know, that there wasn't anything to be found. So they had violated my rights in absence of coming at me with any warrant, with any judge's signature or any evidence of their own. And then they were kind of caught in the, well, we know, we know she's wrong. We know she's done something wrong and we're going to, you know, and then what they do is they, you know, they criminalize. This was my experience was they tried to criminalize my person so that they could get me for intent to do what they had suspected that I had done. And with lack of any evidence, if I had gotten a felony drug charge within five years of that time, um, they would have gotten me for intent. Fact of the matter is I'd been in recovery, um, had five years and had nothing to do with drugs. So they'd never got that charge. Uh, they sus- I'm sorry, what was your question? No, no, I, I was, I was just, uh, I was, I was uh, just uh, reacting. Uh, this is, uh, uh, this is, uh, uh, man, this is a tough story. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of a crazy one. And that's why, you know, people really had a hard time, you know, believing me. And that's why I, New Hampshire, the, the attorney general is the one who signs off on any search and seizures. And that's when I learn that he would be the one I should contact if something, you know, bad happened. And I did so after a false arrest. And uh, there were several, but then when I was actually falsely incarcerated in 2014. Yeah, I was going to ask how long that was for, Julie. That was an 11-day false incarceration. And it was subsequently ruled as a false incarceration by a judge. And, um, and then it was slapped, the uh, charge was slapped back on my record for five years. And yeah, and it was a very offensive charge, a, a charge that's the antithesis of my actual character and behavior. So something that I wasn't willing to go and put myself out there and then try to explain away because I had no association with the charge or the behavior of the charge. So I, I understand if you're explaining, you're, you're losing most of the time. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Yeah, I, I was. I was either being labeled crazy with a severe head injury, looking nuts and having this crazy story, so-called alleged crazy story, you know, to be labeled or I couldn't get work. I mean, it was just one hurdle after another. And, uh, and then of course, you know, cause the head injury, I end up with this speech issue. So, uh, you know, when I was back in my twenties and I was drinking, I could be blackout drunk and I would, no one would even notice. And then now that I'm you know, not affiliated with alcohol or drugs. It's like people think I'm inebriated because I have a speech disorder because of my I head injury. Heard that at all. Well, that's good to know. I'm trying to be very articulate. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you are. I mean, you, 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 but uh, it was it was an accident, right? Uh, yes. With the head injury. Yes. You want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, that was three weeks. Like seven years later, right? Well, no, there was one three weeks after they came at me uh, without okay. the warrant or anything like that uh, when they tried to get me in a false drug charge. Uh, I uh, crashed into a ditch at uh, 45, and uh, he subsequently put that I had only crashed at 18 so that they could uh, not have me uh, admitted to ICU. 
and that is why I became federally disabled is because due to that I had severe brain bleeds and I was told seven years later I should have dialed, died in that jail cell that night in 2011 because oh shit. my god yeah yeah so um, and they put the bail at two thousand dollars too and it was only for a misdemeanor <laughs> it's like what no, no, they were doing anything and everything they could to keep me. And that was because of what had happened three weeks prior and the adamancy of getting me for something that they didn't have any evidence of because, you know, they were, they ended up releasing me. Um, was, was somebody having had it out to you? Was it personal? No, it wasn't personal. It was just based on what they had suspected. And that they had, that the feds just were so certain that they were, that they were right, that they just didn't even think to, you know, they didn't even think twice at coming at me. And they thought it was fact. They thought it was what? They thought it was fact. They thought they, 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 they had no idea what really happened. That's right. That's right. And I, I have some understanding as to why in hindsight they could have, you know, thought that. Um, you know, but at the time, it was just like, where is, what is going on? Where is this coming? Like, I had no idea what I was even being accused of. So, um... That's gotta be tough. It's gotta be tough to to be uh, accused of something that, you you know, you you know that you didn't do. And, um, uh, you had the feeling that they, they believed towards the end that they might not have been right. Oh, yeah. Oh, very much so, because they kept asking me in the interrogation the same exact question the same time. Just one agent would come and say, what do you want? And then they'd have another one come in and ask, what do you want? And I'd list the three meds that I'd been on for the past five years. And then they'd ask again. I mean, just the one question just to try to wear me down. And, uh, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, it's like they didn't really have anything else to ask me because they didn't tell me why I was there. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why they didn't tell me, but, um, what was it like when you were in there for the uh, 11 days? Did they, uh, were you by yourself? Did they put you in a pod? Well, that was, the false incarceration wasn't until 2014, and that was when I was put up in the med ward, and, uh, I had, uh, not been officially diagnosed with the temporal lobe epilepsy at that point, because I hadn't had the MRI, um, so I uh, was having you know, really bad seizures and I had that really bad head injury and I went into shock. My body just completely shut down and I kind of enclosed into myself and I didn't eat, I didn't move, and I didn't go to the bathroom for 11 days. And they took my... Yeah, I just totally just, just was in shock. I didn't cry. I did nothing. And uh, they took my... and. and yeah, yeah, and the oddest thing of it was I finally felt safe. For the first time in four years, I finally felt safe because there was nothing they could do to me in there. For so long, when I finally felt safe in there, I realized that I was always scared that they were going to get me for, like, just being in my home, just like they had, you know, in 2011, and, you know, like, and then when I was finally and falsely incarcerated and, and just put in there without, I, I didn't even ask, I, I was, I didn't even ask why I was in there, and, um, I was later told him I can explain it, but, um, 
I, uh, they took my heart rate at, uh, on the 11th day, and the only reason I wasn't transferred to federal as an anonymous number with a, you know, with a crazy story behind bars who would never be heard from again uh, is because it was 32, and I would be a liability. It's not like they cared about me, or they, oh no, you know, she's, this isn't good for her. It was that I was going to be dead weight on their hands. So when the nurse... Wait, wait, your heart rate, your heart rate was 32? Yes. Oh my God, that's, um, pretty much dead. Yeah, that's right. Wow. That's right. And uh, since then, you know, because my body didn't get treatment for so long because of all the injuries from the first accident, so the spinal cord injuries, um, the uh, I just have a lot of damage done now that I think irreversible on the internal and you know like I have severe heart conditions uh bradycardia and then the cardiacardia you know the one that goes way up and then it goes way down so um yeah it's just uh, how, how, is, how is it now? not great they uh, actually haven't gotten better <laughs> they don't get better I'm on three different meds for those and um I'm going into a third Stress does a, a, you know, amazing damage to the body, and when it's ongoing and it just doesn't stop and it, you don't get a break, yeah, yeah. I guess it's not that I didn't get a break. I just feel like I'm in constant fight or flight. Like I drop something and my heart goes through my throat. I trip over something and my heart goes through my throat. I can't find something as benign as as my vaporizer and my heart goes through my throat. It's like. Constant. Constant. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> do, 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 do you have, um, do you still have the headaches? Yeah, from the epilepsy, yeah, right between the eyes, yeah. Oh, man. So uh, when's, when is that, um, that, uh, huge uh, MRI, when's that gonna happen? Well, that for the liver is May 12th. Okay. At DHMC. And, um, you know, I think they're not... They're trying not to, you know, make me, uh, get me upset about it or too alarmed about it or anything like right, that. Because your heart will go up, right? Because then my heart will go up <laughs> and that yeah. will go out, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. So who knows, you know, things can heal, things can regenerate, things can get better, yeah. but it has to be better situations and circumstances and for that to happen and I think well, that I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my audience everyone to, to start sending some good energy for you and uh, everyone uh, to say a say, uh, uh, prayer and keep uh, Julie in your thoughts uh, as, as we uh, get to hear her story uh, because we just uh, you know we just uh, tapped the surface here on, on this um, but uh, Julie we're, we are uh, out of time for, for this show but um, we'll uh, I can't wait to, to hear the, the next part of this because uh, there is a lot more, I'm telling the audience, there's a lot more um, 
but uh, it's, uh, Julie, Julie Ashmus is just a incredible story, incredible person, and um, I can't wait to hear what you have to say next, my friend. Well, thank you, Casey. I really appreciate it, and I hope I didn't bring anyone down or make anybody cry. <laughs> no, no, definitely not, definitely not. And then, um, just right before we go, uh, Julie, I want to give you uh, the floor, anything you want anyone to remember, to remember, to think about, uh, anything that you, you want to say, I'd like to give you the floor uh, for the last, uh, the, the last 30 seconds, the last word here. All right. No, I'm just uh, really honored to be on the show, uh, and it's really nice, you know, after all this time to just kind of speak some of my piece and just kind of more about who I am. That's really nice to for, for you to offer, so thank you. And it's, it's good for people to hear too, Julia, and uh, uh, I'm glad that uh, you know, I admire your, your honesty and, and what you've been through, so uh, I can't wait to hear uh, part two. Uh, Julie, Julie Asmus, everybody. Julie, thanks again. Thank you, Casey. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Right, we'll be right back. Stay right there. Don't move. Hi, Julie. Yeah, hi. <laughs> yes, this is Gil. Um, that was an amazing show, especially your first show. Oh, wow, um, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, you talk a lot about, you know, the personal experiences that you've, you've undergone. Um, usually we open up the phone lines and if people have questions, they are able to ask them. Um, but I just felt like it was important for you, Casey, to, you know, build a rapport and have that first conversation, really get the audience to understand where you're coming from, your story, and things of that nature. And I feel like you definitely rocked out. You did an amazing job. Um, oh, that means a lot, because I, I kind of felt like I was a downer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think you were a downer. You are just sharing your experience. And some experiences, there aren't the most upbeat stories, you know? You yeah. can't say, hey, uh, this happened to my life and then have like a positive attitude when you know you're still dealing with the repercussions of that and people um now more than ever definitely understand that you know covid has put a lot of people into grief a lot of people are sensitive a lot of people lost their jobs so these are conversations that need to be had you know yeah getting over obstacles in your life that you know still affect you to this day yeah and you know i, I just love that you were very personal you know afraid to let your emotions um show and i feel like those conversations are just as important as the good ones oh thank you thank you so much Gil it means a lot <laughs> no truly um yeah I wish I could continue talking to you but um I have to get ready for our next guest but I, I can't wait to hear your next show next week okay likewise thank you and uh, not likewise but thank you and can you please apologize to the women I spoke with earlier who I was quite agitated not with but just in regards to the whole circumstances of not getting the text and i wasn't very nice oh i didn't know anything about that but oh. i guess i'll let the scheduling team know that i'll be very um apologetic of what happened earlier today yes that would be great all right no problem have a blessed day okay okay thank you you too all right. bye now bye You know what sucks is having a really good conversation and it honestly with me it just becomes a full-on monologue and the other person like just being there and my 
actually being in somewhat awe that after like 10 to 15 minutes that the person is actually still on the other end of the line. <laughs> but um, I do that and I'm like, you know what, that would have been a really good thing to say if I just, shit, if I just would have recorded that, you know, instead of just set it all into the phone. There's so many things that I say. There's so many things that I whip off to people. There's so many emails that I put time into that are just so succinct sometimes and just obviously, as you know, so out of sorts and discombobulated and, you know, spelled like a freaking third grader half the time as well. But the fact of the matter is I just, I can't replicate it. I go back, I try to remember I can't, I can never replicate it again. So at this point, it's like, I'm just so fascinated. I think I need to start recording everything I say. <laughs> okay, come on, you guys. If I have to uh, say that and not be kidding, there's really something wrong with me. Or you would be even more intrigued and be like, wow, if this person is actually that fucked up and conceited, I want to hear more about this. So maybe I should play that route. And then there's the route of, did anybody ever consider self-sabotage on my end and the fact that I've wanted to annoy because for so many years it just didn't seem to matter? Oh, oh, here's one. Let me give you an example. Hold on. Let me get my dog first. Okay, here's an example. Here's an example. Yesterday, I go and get my mail. Okay, not done yet. In the mail, there's a, there's a letter from the New Hampshire Circuit Court, right? Judicial branch. Hmm. I'm thinking, this is serious. Like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? This is going to fucking destroy me. This is thick. This is not good. I open it up, and it's from NLNVD Corp something corporate. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I look it up. And it's a, it's a credit card bill for the one credit card that I have at $600. It's a credit card. Hey, hold on. Just I fucking, I don't want to stop this, but I got it. My dog. So just a minute, just a minute. Belly, come here. Come here right now. We're not doing this right now. Not now. No, no, no. Get over here. Get in, get in. Okay. So sorry you had to hear that, but okay. You really want to know? Okay. I, okay, you know, I'm not going to tell you about that right now. Oh, God, now I just completely lost my fucking, oh, my God. Lost my train of thought. And this is good for you to hear because it's real. I could delete it. I could start over. I could listen to the beginning and be like, oh my God, that's what I was going to say. I'm going to write it out. I'm going to make it so it freaking sounds perfect. But is that real? Is that what people really want to hear? Really? Maybe. I don't know. Because you know eventually I'm going to circle back around. Or you know that these little bloops and blips and little things and legs are worth it because when I do get to my point, it's a fucking good one. So give me a second, give me a second. Don't put pressure, I'm feeling your pressure. Okay, hold on, just, 
mind, breathe. Where was I going with that? I think I will have to stop and come back to it. Oh, no, 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 got it, got it, got it, told you, told you. Okay, so they want to take me to court, or the state decides to press charges for a $600 credit card bill, and it's $727. of the clients of Capital One owe more than $127. So why am I being brought to court on it? Because they don't want me to come. Because they want to get a bench warrant. Because they want to hold me without bail. Hello? Hello? Because they know if they come get me on a Friday, they can hold me till Monday without my meds. And they want that. That's what they're looking for. That's what they're looking to get. That's what they're waiting for. And what they don't know is what's waiting for them if they try. That's what they don't know. But they should. But they should. So, I am way, way, way overdue for gallbladder surgery. And I want to know why it is that... 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, they took people who needed gallbladder surgery and just put them on the table next day and took the damn thing out. And now you need consult after consult after consult. And for me, it's cardiac consult, neurological consult because of my TBI. And it's like, why? Why all these consults? Why all money and liability if something happens to me on that table and she didn't give me a consult for cardiology when my heart's weak well it's on her so she refers me out and if something happens then it's on him well what cardiologist is want to gonna want to clear someone for surgery when they have a really crappy heart oh yeah i'll take that on so that if something happens to her which is very possible uh not very possible but it's possible you know then it's on me no no one's gonna raise their hand and take that job not the not these days not with liability so you know everyone's like you know and then it's also a whole game of you know a plus scorecards for doctors they want to take cases that they know will show them in a good light so they don't want to take complex cases that like me that are you know <laughs> incredibly complex as my neurologist summed up they they just don't they don't want that they want something that can just be easy they can fix and they can have an a plus and um, it's really come down to the, the honestly politics, money, and um, you know liability, and not wanting any. So wanting to make sure they, you know, uh, refer, uh, you know, in the way that would not give them any. And I really think that's a shame, especially given my position. Um, anyway, thanks, Casey. I'm glad to be in it. So this is definitely noteworthy here. Uh, 
to my fans about about uh, four days ago my parents were absolutely demanding demanding that I uh, allege to uh, an attorney falsely that I had had a, uh, a cause in, in an accident that I had no cause in and I said that I would not be making a false statement uh, nor a statement that was contrary to the truth nor contrary to what I'd said in court um, and to prosecution seven times the night former and to the attorney general who I called and left a five minute message um, so anyway uh, nonetheless um, those charges were dropped in effect of my message to the attorney general so then uh now uh this 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 many uh months later the there's a civil suit my parents are demanding that that we're demanding that i uh you know make this false statement that was contrary to the one i'd made former in criminal court and i said absolutely not and they said that that if I was not going to do that, that they were going to go after a million dollars. And I said, that's a bunch of bullshit. You know, you that's blackmail. So what they're doing is they're telling me to make a false statement, which is a felony. They're telling me to commit a felony. And they're blackmailing you to, to fucking get me to do it. So how are they going to explain that? Yeah, I mean, come on, you know, really, they're committing crimes to get me to commit crimes. What kind of fucking attorney does that? So anyway, my parents, you know, then they come to me today and they said, you didn't say anything to the attorney yet, did you? I said, well, I left him a message and I just said, oh, God, what'd you say? So I said, I said, I would not say anything different than I'd already alleged. I would just tell the truth. Sorry, no go. And they're like, oh, OK, so you, you didn't tell him what we told you to say. I said no, and I never planned to. Why would I make a false statement and and say something contrary and and pledge that I had had any, you know, grievance in this in this, you know, accident? You know, why why would I why would I even do that? Because they'd go after millions of you. Yeah. Well, that was what you said. So now they're telling me that they have an attorney for this attorney because they realized he's corrupt. And if I had made that statement. The state would have used it against me, pulled up the other, uh, the other, uh, so-called accidents in which I'd been rear-ended each time by an immigrant. Uh, no, I am not biased, but it is literal, literal. It, they were not from this country. All the police had to say was green card. And, you know, they don't know the insurance laws well enough to, to just fucking freak out and do whatever the police tell them to do. So they proceed to get out of the car and say to me, you, you slow down on purpose. You just want money. And it's like, what the fuck are you yelling at me for? You just ruined me. So this happened like four times in a row. Okay, so anyway, this this guy's involved in the civil suit that is involved with this man who rear-ended me on his goddamn motorcycle when I was going 20 miles an hour taking a left lane in Hampton to the beach, okay? And they're trying to tell me that I'm supposed to tell him I was in the right lane. I'm like, I was dead set on a left. Why the F would I be in the right? Okay, and I'm not going to say I was... Anyway, needless to say, my parents are now, now like saying, oh my God, thank God you didn't say what we told you to say, you know, three days ago. What we were demanding, 
like demanding you do like that if you don't do we're gonna do this and like pretty much like trying to blackmail me because they're being blackmailed I mean the whole fucking thing's a mess I'm not trying to be full of myself but the reason I was asked by Casey Armstrong to be on an international podcast wasn't because I didn't make it through shit it was because I made it through a lot of shit 10 years of shit and shit that I'd have to know shit in advance to be like I'm not saying that because they're gonna dig all this up and then guess what the judge is gonna do boom no license for five years and that'd be that and this civil attorney is trying to get you to hand over evidence that seems benign that this statement seems benign to you in regard but I know the law and I know what the judge would do and not having any context whatsoever in regards to this whole picture instantly she'd be like this person is a danger on the road there's been five accidents and she wouldn't know about why they weren't my cause and blah 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 blah. wouldn't know about any of that crap and automatically i'd lose my life that is exactly what he was going for you know so you know not only that they weren't even going to give me a, a a day in court to to say my my piece in front of a jury you know, which would have been, you know, it's awful ironic to be standing here accused of something I'm not even aware occurred after being deliberately, repeatedly disabled by the federal government and the state for the past 12 years because primarily they tried to cover up their human rights violations and liability and insurgencies in which they were completely as wrong as they had been fucking certain and what i found out is the federal government and dea investigations they don't take accountability and say oh we're so fucking sorry no first what they do in the systematic fucking fuck up shit is they try to criminalize you And if they can't get you on, what I learned later is a felony drug charge based on what they suspected me on without a warrant, without a judge's signature, without any evidence they came at me with. If they did not get me within five years of a felony drug charge, then they would not have me on anything and they would have been liable and they did not get me on a felony drug charge but if they had i would have gone to jail for 25 years to life for intent for a crime that i had no association with that i just gotten a master's degree in order to become an mladc and was just gonna start my goddamn internship and was eight months away from hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year so you tell me why the fuck I would do what they suspected I was doing. Exactly. There was no reason. And they looked high and low and they could not find one. And goddamn were they mad. And they could not criminalize me. And goddamn did that make them matter. And they got more and more districts involved. And the more, more you know, state employees that got corrupt by the feds. Uh, feds paying and soliciting out the ass to, to get state employees. Do what they will. The, the the worse it was for me. I mean, I'm an army of one, and they just kept fucking sending them at me, you know? Nothing to lose on their part, just said Roy and Bob and Ken, you know, today, because they have uh, 50 other on patrol. It's just me. It was just me. And all the people that I'd been conditioned to trust, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. 
because they were either told shit that wasn't true or they they were corrupt themselves or they had already been in on it so they certainly weren't going to protect me they wanted me to go down so they didn't go down i mean honestly there wasn't shit that that i could count on and people didn't believe me and so the injuries i had weren't attended to and i mean thank god i was engaged at the time and i had witness to all of the effect and uh right now the state is still trying to do them in every single time something hits an account the state fucking takes it and with him it's bad because he works he works his ass off in this the second anything hits his account the state takes it boom and he can't prove it and there's nothing he can do there's nothing he can do and with me yeah it's happened but not thirty thousand dollars at a time i mean i can't even imagine over and over and over and he says the child support payments that he's made and everything they claim he hasn't made and he owes and he can't say different it's like with what they did with me I mean, with what they say or whatever, I can't claim different unless I can prove different. And because he insisted we get every single report every time something fucked up happened, and uh, that was like pretty much every other day, if I didn't have all the original reports, I wouldn't have anything as evidence because they were all redacted and falsified just like with Doug. He didn't have a chance to get any kind of report, so he couldn't prove they took anything. With me, I have these original reports that prove what the state and federal government are saying never happened in the first place because they did not even think that I would be in my mind to get the original report because I wasn't. My fiancé was, and they didn't think he'd be there. Whoopsie pups. Oh, well. So now they're freaked as fuck because here they have someone who's free, alive, credible, and has every bit of evidence she needs to prove the government almost took her life in 2015 deliberately. We're talking motive, opportunity, evidence, direct statement, witnesses at the scene. That they didn't question, by the way. They didn't ask for my statement either. And when Doug and his eldest son came to the scene, he said it was the weirdest thing. All the officers were huddled over to the side, and there was only one honest officer willing to give him a truthful statement. And my wallet and my phone were just sitting out on the car seat, just like anybody could come up and take them. And and the honest officer said, you know, I don't know who she is to you, but he's like, your fiancé... She was hit at 95 miles an hour in the right rear end corner of her car. And the only reason she didn't flip is uh, she must be in some sort of shock or something. Because she lacked that survival reflex and didn't, you know, do the flip of the wrist. Otherwise, she would have had, I mean, Jesus Christ, 95 miles an hour. I was slammed almost at a perpendicular angle. And why was that? Because the fucking black SUV without his headlights on. I could not see. 
And all I remember thinking was, I'm almost home. It's 1130 at night. There is a twinkling of car lights behind me, probably about half a mile away. The exit was coming up. I'm like, oh, fuck, I can just go to bed. And I just remember that twinkling of car lights behind me. There was no one beside me. There wasn't a car. Well, there certainly was. And when that hit came, it was like there was no fear. And I'm not saying that out of some superior. It was like the only thought that came to me is, how's it going to happen? And how's it, how much is it going to hurt? Because I, I knew I was going to die. I just didn't know, is it going to be, am I going to slam into the embankment? Or am I going to ram down into the ditch? Because when you're going 76 miles an hour and then you're rammed on the corner at 95 and you when you lack that reflex, what happens is what happened is I went successfully in in uh, in successive turns for about I don't know six or seven, eight, nine turns, literally around and around and around and around and around and then back and forth and back and forth and my my foot was just pumping the gas pedal and each time I came to to you know one of the the embankment or the uh or the cliff my 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 uh my hand just barely touched the wheel and I mean barely touched the wheel just enough to get it I mean I mean I'm going freaking you know 55 50 I mean that fast that that you're that you're almost flipping every goddamn fucking time you're going I mean Jesus how many times was my life set like I wasn't driving I was not that was not me driving and I'm not a religious person but if you think about the, the he said the officer was like I've never seen anything like it I mean there's first of all she should have died from the impact second of all the fact that she every every spin she didn't she didn't you know blow out of in a in a full spin out or in a full you know whatever tail or head over tail and then and and then back and forth between the the fucking ditch and the my TBI, my epilepsy's totally got me up the ass right now. The ditch in the fucking, ah, uh, whatever it is. Like how my hand would have to barely touch the wheel going that speed to again each time. Each and every time we're talking like 20 times, not flip the car. Like that would probably be like 5% chance each time of, 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 of like luck or whatever that 20 so you put that times 20 and then the barely one percent at the beginning and you're like that's just fuck it forget it this is not a human this is someone something else took over that wasn't driving that's not that's not luck that's beyond luck that is way beyond luck and not only that everyone's like did you drive after that and I'm like what what oh my god I just was bombing on the highway after that no fear and I think it's because deep down inside me, I knew if God wanted me to die, I would be dead. And and after that, after that night, that conviction was so deep, it's still there to this day. I would do anything and go anywhere if it meant someone else's life or mine and I could help in some way. Because 
if God wants me dead, it's up to him and no one else. And, and (laughs) Jesus Christ, if it was up to somebody else, I would have been dead fucking 300 times over. I mean, in that jail cell, the the only reason I got out was because my heart went down to 36. Talk about ironic, right? You get saved from a life-threatening situation because you almost fucking die. I I, I mean, what is that, right? Will will that happen? It also is the fact my dog that that I was eternally attached to, when I told them that I went to the hospital the night that I did, they're like, wait a minute, what? What night? I told them the date again. And they said, you've got to be kidding because we took your dog to the vet because her heart almost failed because she hadn't eaten anything in nine days. And that's exactly, that is exactly what I was taken in. For the same exact reason. And so don't ever tell me that two things and two beings cannot be eternally attached even when they are physically apart if me and a goddamn fucking dog literally almost died on not even just the same night but within the same hour. Alright? On top of every goddamn fucking thing else. You have no idea. I mean, I can't handle that I don't have what anyone should have this far into life. But at the same time, no one this far into life that has just had a regular life has the faith that I do. Because they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't have the chance to accrue it. I mean, they'd have to go through the experiences I did to know there's something more. Whether it is this huge, fig, this huge finger that just barely, barely moves a car off that highway or keeps it on. And, and that alien force that we don't want anything to do with our mortality or morality or whatnot. Nothing. I got, I hope it's not that. And I hope it's something much more beautiful. But whatever it is, there is something. Because there's absolutely no way that everything that happened to me could have happened. And I could have been here and alive. Incredible. And their worst fucking nightmare. Unless there was a reason for that. And has the federal government ever been indicted for solicited attempted murder before? No. And do I think they're going to be? No. But do I have every piece of evidence to put before a judge the fact that they did? You better fucking believe it. And do you think a judge will not look at that? Are you fucking insane? It will get looked into. If I can call the Attorney General and state my case in five minutes the night before a hearing for those charges to be overturned based on my statement to him, you better believe I will be heard and continue to be. Thank you.